0: Morning. Well, I don't want to go against what Mark had said as the rules for a guest preacher, so I will start with a joke. Um, So this man called the church office and he asked to speak to the head, head hog at the trough. And the church secretary was offended and she says, If you mean the pastor, you're going to have to refer to him as the pastor, but you may not call him the head hog at the trough. And the gentleman said, That's fine. I was just thinking about giving $10,000 to the church building fund. And the lady replied, Hold on, Porky just came in. (laughs) So we already prayed uh, for Dennis, so let's just uh, pray that this message is spoken the way God wants it to be spoken and that you can hear it in the way that you need to hear it. Father, we just ask that uh, your word would be spoken here. Again, I have many things that I've meditated upon and prepared, but you're the author of the word, and we want your word to be spoken. So let me forget about anything that isn't pertinent, and let me focus only on what you would have me say. I just ask that your anointing would be both on my speaking and upon all of our hearing. Your word is mighty and powerful, sharper than any any two-edged sword, and has the ability to cut through all the mire and the muck and reach the point that it needs to reach for us. We just ask that that would occur. We ask for the Spirit to guide this process and the Spirit to finish this prayer. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to talk to you about uh, contentment with our identity. I think it's interesting that um, Dennis spoke about our identity in Christ. And contentment is something that's really hard to come by. And specifically with regard to contentment, I'd like to speak about what hurts contentment, what comes against contentment. Um, and I want to make a disclaimer here. This is this is a word because I have the privilege of being able to do this. This is a word that I need to hear, so I was able to design. You know, Here. hear, oh, that word was just for me. Well, I'm designing it that way for me. So, but hopefully, it touches other people as well. Um, I gotta be honest that it's been a really tough year. I mean, it's not. Tremendous in the scheme of things. We hear about some of the things that we prayed about here, some terrible things that have occurred within people's lives. I know I haven't suffered the way so many people have. I'm so grateful for that. But I have struggled with migraines since the beginning of the year, and they've been more or less constant and, you know, haven't really gotten a handle on it. I mean, I've got some ideas, and it's a very complex thing, and there's a spiritual component. I know that God is using this for my further purification and sanctification the scripture says that gold is tested in the fire, you know the fire is heated up, the impurities rise up to the surface, we skim off those impurities, it's heated more more impurities rise up and God is certainly doing that in in my own life and uh, although it's a difficult process that's the way in which gold or we are refined and I don't really like the process but I believe that on one level, that's what's going on. So, you know, God is God and I'm not. Um, Psychologically, I know that um, I have a gift of sensitivity, which does me well in terms of being with clients, being compassionate, being understanding of what they go through, and that sensitivity really is a gift that allows me to do what I do. But that sensitivity has its drawbacks. I mean, I feel things very intensely. Uh, I not only have sensitivity, but an intense personality. So when you combine those two, it's, uh, you know, challenging. And I'm learning to develop some boundaries relative to that because I can't let everything in. And yet I I need to be engaged with people or otherwise that's not really going to minister to people. So that's a... A balance that I'm working on, and I know that that's part of it. And physically, I know there's some things going on. Um, I'm actually trying, I've been saying no to new clients recently to have the goal of getting an evening break in my two to nine marathon sessions on Mondays and Thursdays so that I can eat and stretch and relax a little bit because. At 57, I just can't continue to do that two-to-nine stretch without a break anymore, and I, it may seem like common sense to many of you, but, you know, it's, I'm kind of thick sometimes, so it's, it's hard to get through. So those are some of the things that are going on, and I, as a result, I've been searching for an answer on many different levels. I mean, what's up with this? What are you saying to me? And so I was doing our readings that you know we've scheduled to do throughout the year and reading through Jeremiah and trudging through Jeremiah. Anybody else trudge through Jeremiah? I mean, he's tough to read. Um, but something really jumped out at me, and I've been meditating on this for uh, probably a month and a half, and it's the first scripture on your sheet. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, refusing to be healed. Will you indeed be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail and are uncertain? Therefore, thus says the Lord to Jeremiah, if you return and give up this mistaken tone of distrust and despair, then I will give you again a settled place of quiet and safety, and you will be my minister. If you separate the precious from the vile, cleansing your own heart from unworthy and unwarranted suspicions concerning God's faithfulness, you shall be my mouthpiece. So this got my attention right away. This is the amplified version. This got my attention right away because of this refusing to be healed. You know, it's just refusing to go away. So I says, well, I got to pay attention here. And then I looked at the, the deceitful, deceitful brook, like waters that fail and are uncertain. Um, sometimes it, the commentary I looked at relative to this says that it's kind of like the streams that are in the desert that dry up in the summer heat. Or another commentator said that it's like a mirage. You're walking on the desert and you see, see these heat vapors rising up and it appears as though it's water, but it's not really water. So sometimes I think, at least in my experience, I'm sure you've had this as well, you know, God makes a promise to us and we believe that he's blessing us in a certain way and things are going along and then all of a sudden it, it kind of dries up. It isn't there and, and you'll wonder. Um, and, and we can, if we're not careful, get into a position of distrust and even despair. You know, we start to doubt. And that moves into distrust, and then it moves into despair. And hope deferred makes the heart sick, so it's a dangerous place to be. Um, You know, and and the line that really got me was this unworthy and unwarranted suspicions concerning God's faithfulness. I thought, wow. I mean, isn't that... If we're really honest... Don't we wonder, at least at times, if God is faithful? When everything falls apart and things terrible happen that you can't understand and that you suffer with or you watch somebody else suffering, I mean, isn't that what we do, really, is wonder whether or not he's being faithful? I know I do, and I think it's important, uh, like David, to be emotionally honest with God. If we're not emotionally honest, if we don't have a real connection with Him and are really able to tell Him where we're coming from, then what is our relationship? If we just go in and praise the Lord and thank Him, which certainly we need to do, but if we're not able to be honest with Him about this level, then we're not honest. And to the extent that we're not honest, we don't have a real relationship. It's like if I was relating to my wife and there was something between us, And I was just telling her normal things, and I didn't tell her what was really wrong. We wouldn't be connected until I came clean and and told her what was going on. And I thought, as I listened to this, I thought, you know, I was kind of reminded of the Garden of Eden. And that's the next scripture that's there. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle and crafty than any living creature in the field which the Lord God had made. And he, Satan, said to the woman, Can it really be that God has said, You shall not eat from every tree in the garden? You know, we know what happened after that. But the way it began is Satan said, Can it really be that God has said this? It was a doubt. Are are you sure God said this? He didn't come right out and say, You're not going to die. He didn't come right out and say that you're going to be like God if you eat from this. You know, the first thing he said is, are you really sure that that's what God said? And and he didn't even say that God had said not to eat from that tree. He said, are you really sure that God has said that you cannot eat from every tree? And of course God didn't say that. So Eve jumps right in. No, he didn't say that. So all of a sudden... Even though it's not about the subject, he's got her saying, no, he didn't say. <laughs> See how subtle that is? I mean, that's, that's crafty. That's supernatural intelligence. And that's how it gets in. It begins with a subtle, seemingly innocent, crafty doubt. And something that we really need to be careful of. It's a seed of doubt. And it will grow, if we're not careful, to distrust. It will grow to despair. It will grow to an unworthy and unwarranted suspicion about God's faithfulness, and then we're in trouble. Because if we think that God is unfaithful, if we think that He's not really leading us in the right way, what are we going to do? We're not going to be content. We're not going to be content with our life. We're not going to be content with our relationship with God. And we're going to go our own way. We're going to say, I don't know about God. I don't know if he's really leading us in the right way. I think I might know better. And then we'll go in our own way. And that's where we get in trouble. Uh, I was reading, many of you have read this Um, a long time ago but I was reading Wild at Heart I had given it away for a while and I got it back and I was reading Eldridge talks about um, a false persona that we develop as a defense mechanism and he says this about men which I think it's certainly true about men but I think it's true about all of us Uh, men have a particular susceptibility to this I believe Uh, but we have a wound we all have a wound We're all wounded at some point or another. Many of us are wounded very early in our life. And many of us are wounded by relationships that we expect faithfulness and love, like with regard to our parents. You know, we expect that they're going to always be there for us and loving to us and things will happen when they're not. Not necessarily because they're trying to even, you know. A person could be out working and doing what he needs to do in order to put bread on the table, but he's not available to his children. But however it happens, or whether it happens in a love relationship, somewhere along the line we get wounded. Well, when that wound is deep enough, there's something inside of us that says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going to be wounded here anymore. This is too painful, and I am going to guard my heart. Now, this happens on a subconscious level, and it's very sophisticated. And Eldred says that we develop a persona around this wound as a defense mechanism to protect ourselves from being wounded. Now, it's confusing, though, because many times we use the giftedness that God has given us to develop this. I mean, I'm fairly good at what I do and usually have the ability to speak well into people's lives and I enjoy what I do and I I think I've been existing for a while in that and 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 that's what God wants me to do I don't want you to give you the impression that this this is all askew but I think part of it I've used as a defense mechanism to protect me from some of the deeper things that God wants to reveal to me some of it I've used to protect me from greater intimacy that I could have with God, that I could have with my wife and family, that I could have with friends and others. I mean, intimacy is scary. That's where we get wounded. So that's where we develop this. Um, So we go our own way. We develop this persona. We try to control our identity rather than being content with our identity in Christ. We have our own agenda, and it's, it's usually selfish. In some way. And God who respects our freedom, he allows us to do this and he allows us to make a mess. And it's the mess that hopefully gets our attention. And hopefully sooner uh, rather than later. Many times we will get sick and tired and alone or at least lonely. And when we get to that place, we say, oh, God. And that's what we need to say. I, I want to show a movie clip in a couple of minutes here uh, from Bruce Almighty. and um, Bruce Nolan, if you didn't see the movie, um, he did exactly this. He-, he had an agenda, right? He wasn't content. He had a wonderful girlfriend whose name was Grace, interestingly enough. And he had a great career. He was really funny. He did these spots for the news that were really good. I mean, people liked it. And I think he was in his element doing what he was supposed to be doing. But he wasn't content. He wanted something more, probably because he had a wound. And that's where his ambition came from. He wanted to be the news anchor because that was the the hot spot. He didn't accept that he had a divine spark within him that was his grace. Um, And what happened was that he lost his goal. Somebody got that spot. Kind of did a deceptive thing, and circumstances worked against him, and he lost that news anchor position. He got mad with God. He was yelling at him. He said, okay, God, now the gloves are off. And, you know, he's, he was praying and he wound up crashing into a thing because he wasn't reading the signs and he threw his prayer beads away and he threw the gloves off and he was ready to duke it out with God. Um, so then God spoke with him and God gave him his powers for about a week, all his powers. He just said that he couldn't tell people that he was God and he couldn't mess with free will. And so he started to use these powers, but selfishly. And he got his goal, he got his news anchor position back. But in the process of this, he loses grace, figuratively and literally. He loses his girlfriend, who really loved him selflessly. I mean, as selflessly as a person can. And he lost, you know, grace in terms of his life. And, and God allowed that to occur. And that's basically where we're going to pick up the, with the movie. He's lost, um, you know, Grace, and he's actually about to listen to his sister, talk to uh, her sister, talk to him about um, Grace's prayer, so I'll let you watch it. You know finally, uh, he finally sees how much Grace really loves him. He didn't see that before. He finally surrenders. To God's will. He stops trying to go his own way with his own agenda, um, being his own God. He starts to see his true identity and starts to become content with who God has created him to be, with that divine spark that he has. He learns to really pray a sincere prayer, one that comes from his heart, one that has a selfless concern for her well-being in it. And, and he doesn't, in that, he doesn't pray for her to come back, but prays for her to have someone who will really love her the way he should have and one who will see her always as I do now through your eyes. What a wonderful prayer. I remember when I was in the seminary, I was trying to understand what it was like to really love people. And, you know, I asked God for the ability to love people the way that he loved them or as near as I could understand that. And toward that end, I asked him to help me to see people as Christ. You know, the scripture says that whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. So when we interact with one another, you know, we're interacting with the Lord. So if you have a hard time forgiving someone or a hard time being patient with someone, maybe you can try imagining that you're dealing with Christ. I'm sure that if Jesus walked in here and we saw him and we related to him, we would forget about all of the incidental things that we get so annoyed about and upset with and impatient about, right? And and yet, that's really what we're dealing with all the time when we deal with one another. That's what the Scripture says. uh, It's not just something that I'm imagining. I used my imagination to try to make the word real, but that's really what's going on. You know, we're only going to be content if we learn contentment. And this is uh, what Paul said in the next scripture from Philippians uh, 4.11. Not that I am implying that I was in any personal want, for I have learned how to be content, satisfied to the point where I am not disturbed or disquieted in whatever state that I am at That I am. am, than I am. Um, you know, this is a process. You don't learn contentment like that. We might get a revelation about it, but... We're going to go through a lot of difficulties. Like James says, consider it all joy when you fall into diverse trials and tribulations, knowing that the testing of your faith is going to bring about patience and endurance, which is going to bring you to completion and perfection. I mean, that's a process, and it's not an easy process. It's going through tough times. And so knowing that, knowing that contentment is going to come as a result of that kind of process, we need grace. We need to run to God which is the next scripture. Um, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liability to assaults of temptation, but one who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sinning. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help, and well-timed help coming just when we need it. I learned a while ago to stop praying for a change in the circumstances. I mean, I still do at times, but not as regularly as I used to. But I pray more now for grace and mercy because the promise of God isn't that he's going to change our circumstances or make it easier. He might be using the difficulty of our circumstances to bring us to contentment, to bring us peace. It's just that process. So what we need is grace and mercy to go through it. And that's what the word promises us. It promises us that we'll have grace and mercy in our time of need, appropriate, well-timed help, just when we need it, not before, you know. (laughs) Many times we want grace for what's going to happen tomorrow, and we don't get it until tomorrow. Um, the, The last scripture that's there is, "...for no temptation, no trial regarded as enticing to sin, no matter how it comes or where it leads..." has overtaken you and laid hold of you that is not common to man. That is, no temptation or trial has come to you that is beyond human resistance and that is not adjusted and adapted and belonging to human experience and such as man can bear. But God is faithful to his word and his compassionate nature and he can be trusted Not to let you be tempted and tried and assayed beyond your ability and strength of resistance and power to endure. But with the temptation, he will always also provide a way out. The means of escape to a landing place that you may be capable and strong and powerful to bear up under it patiently. You know, God is faithful. He can be trusted. Remember the first scripture the, the tone, the mistaken tone of distrust and the unworthy and unwarranted questioning about God's faithfulness. We're hearing that he is trustworthy, he is faithful. But we need to be very, very careful about the doubt that leads us into that place. You know, the way of escape in temptation is at a specific place. Um, if you were going to stop a train, would you want to Wait until it was going 50 miles an hour with 50 cars behind it? Or would you want to put a wedge in the wheel before it starts? I mean, obviously the wedge in the wheel before it starts is the only way to go when it's coming to stop in a train. And it's the same thing with regard to temptation. And it doesn't matter what the temptation is. You know, sin has a life of its own. We start to energize it. And it starts to build. We have an autonomic nervous system that starts to engage. And it's very powerful. Think of a sexual temptation, for example. You go very far down the road, boy, that train is moving. If you want to stop it, you got to stop it in the beginning. And when that doubt comes, that's the beginning. That's where we need to arrest it. That's where we need to recognize that we're dealing with a demonic force, even though it doesn't seem that way. An innocent little doubt. Can it really be that God has said this? You know, it doesn't seem that big of a deal. It seems kind of benign, but it's not. And that's where we have the way of escape. That's where we're promised to have grace and mercy to deal with it. And that's where we need to be able to deal with it. Uh, the last scripture I just noted, I didn't uh, have room to list it out, but I'd like to read it to you, because we need wisdom about this. And James tells us, If any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly without reproaching or fault-finding, and it will be given him. Only it must be in faith that he asks, with no wavering, no hesitating, No doubting. For the one who wavers, hesitates, doubts, is like the billowing surge out at sea that is blown hither and thither and tossed in the wind. For truly, let not such a person imagine that he will receive anything he asks for from the Lord. For being as he is, a man of two minds, hesitating, dubious, irresolute, he is unstable and unreliable and uncertain about everything he thinks, feels, and decides. You know, what came to me is that uh, if I go out on a boat, I get seasick. And uh, if, if we're going to be unstable, if we're going to be in this doubting mode, it's going to make us sick. It really will. So, I'd like to uh, leave you with something that I found in um, Matthew Henry Concise's commentary about Jeremiah's uh, scripture that we talked. He said, The Lord called the prophet to cease from his distrust and to return to his work. So sometimes we need to pray specifically against doubt, take authority over it. Uh, Sometimes we just don't, we should just give it any attention. You know, doubt comes by, okay, we recognize what it is, where it comes from, and return to your work. You know, I heard a definition of faithfulness is doing the last thing that God told you to do. So, what, what has God told you to do? Who has God told you to be? What divine spark do you have? What is inside of you that you know is uniquely created by God? Live that. Be that person. And when doubts come that go against that, return to what God has told you. If he gives you a new direction in the future, fine. Make sure it's him. Test and discern the spirits. But until you know that God is changing your direction, stay faithful on the course that he's given you. Be content with who he's created you to be. You know, we're in Christ, we're God's child, we're Christ's friend. We've been redeemed and forgiven of all of our sins, we've been bought with a price, we belong to God. We're established, anointed, and sealed by the Holy Ghost. You know, that's something that we can be content with. Father, I just ask that you would uh, sink this word into our hearts, that you would allow us to meditate upon it, that you would allow us to see who we are in Christ Jesus, your Son, that we would learn to be content with what you have given us. I thank you for your anointing and the way that you work in our lives. We ask for the Holy Spirit to complete this whole process for us and complete this prayer. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, just one final thing. I, my son um, asked me last night what I was speaking about and I said contentment and he said... I don't know if he asked what I meant by it. And I said, you know, being content. And he said, you mean wanting what you have? And I said, yeah. <laughs> so um, that's what we, we want to do. We want to want what we have. Uh, I'd like to close with uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 as a kind of benediction. This is also from uh, the Amplified Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, definite requests, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. And God's peace shall be yours, that tranquil state of soul, assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and being content. With its earthly lot of whatever sort that is, that peace, which transcends all understanding, shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts, in minds, in Christ Jesus. Have a great day.